were trying to figure out what should we teach on. And uh, I started talking to my dad, and it's funny because, like, whenever I start that conversation, people are like, oh, my God, you always talk about your dad. And I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like that's, that's the way that it's, I, I think it's supposed to be. But I, I was talking to my dad, and uh, we have this conversation. Um, it's called the Disney Complex. Can you say the Disney Complex? Uh, so, like, I, I talked to our staff about it because one thing about um, – if your children are on, like, the spectrum of, like, ADHD or autism or, like, dyslexia, like, one thing that kind of trips us out at times is when, like, you overly repeat something that I already know. Like, it's so frustrating. Like, I know how to take out the trash. I've been doing it since I'm 10. So when you try to tell me how to take out the trash, it's just like, like, what, like I, I, I get it. But my dad has this thing. It's called uh, the Disney Complex. You say it again? The Disney Complex. So growing up, we were 11 years old, and uh, my dad was like, hey, we're going to Disney World. And the minute that he said, we're going to Disney World, right, this was the thing that he had his eyes set on. I'm taking my family to Disney World. The first thing that came out of all of our mouths was this. Well, what about money? What about the, are we taking a car or are we flying? Like, what, what about food? Well, we don't have enough money to pay for the food in the park, so, like, are we going to make the sandwiches here and just eat them all the way through? Anybody ever had a warm ham sandwich when your mom put the mayo and mustard on it before and then you eat it at lunch and it's like, Right? So we're like, we ain't got no money. And dad said, do you want to go to Disney World or not? Well, yeah, we want to go to Disney World. And he's like, well, then all that other stuff doesn't matter. So we would get to this point like, okay, throughout the months, because we had planned on it, and we, 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 we would plan, and uh, like that meant that like we weren't supposed to be eating out, and like we weren't supposed to like ask for things for Christmas. Like, how many of y'all were that type of parent? Like, oh, you want to go to Disney World? Okay, no Christmas, no birthday, don't ask for nothing, the tooth fairy don't exist. Like, everything that you make from slinging papers, how many of y'all slung papers? 90s kid, great job. Like, cutting grass, like, you bring them ducats to the house, and we're going to put that towards Disneyland. So then it got to the point where, as a family, we were more so negotiating the reasons why we couldn't go, and he was more so bent on he wanted to go. Men, I want to make sure that you understand something. The minute that you make your mind up to do something, everything else underneath is irrelevant. I want to go to Disney World. Well, the car has a flat. We'll deal with that later. But do you want to go to Disneyland? Well, well, yeah. Okay, then the flat will take care of itself. Well, we ain't got no money. Well, then that means that we're going to have to make some adjustments to the way that we spend our money. So do you want to go to Disneyland? Yes. Okay, then all that stuff doesn't change. Young man, do you want to be married? Well, you know I need to lose 25 pounds and I don't have enough money. But do you desire to be married? Yes, then let that be the mark that you reach for. It's even funnier because Jesus himself dealt with this issue. And it's so funny because, like, whenever you try to um, bring Jesus back to this point that he was human, people are like, oh, no, he was all God. Yeah, but he was in a body, and he was a man. It says that Jesus, before he was even strung up to the cross, that he experienced fear and frustration to the point of where he was sweating and crying blood. Right? So he was afraid, like, because before he came down, he said, God, I want to save the people. Remember, that was his mark, right? Come on, somebody say it. That was his mark. My mark is that I want to save the people. But everything, well, wait a minute, they're, they're going to beat me? Oh, shoot, somebody's going to, like, somebody's going to betray me. Like, then Peter's going to deny me three different times. And I bet you God was like, but, like, do you want to die for these people or not? Because what we realize, men, sometimes is that our dreams can be murdered by all the things that come in between us and the mark. Everybody wants to run a mile until they realize that there are 5,280 steps in between where you are and where you're going. But the steps don't really care about who you are. The finish line is still saying, remember, your, your, your eyes are supposed to be here. That's why today I want to talk to you about this conversation called men with focus. Men with focus. Because you can't be a man on business who has faith, who's at work, 
who's in black working in prosperity if you have no focus. Any and every time that you look at the word of God where a man was given or a woman or any person was given an idea by God, what he ends up giving them what is the end? David, you're going to be king. He never tells him about the lion and the bear. He never tells him about Goliath. He never tells him that he's going to sleep with six different women and have six different babies by which he's going to have to split his kingdom. He doesn't, he doesn't tell him that one of those six women, he's going to send her husband out to be murdered, and for the rest of his life, he's going to be in anguish. He doesn't tell Samson that he's going to be like uh, 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 bamboozled by this woman that's named Delilah. And I want to teach a message on that because she didn't even have to sleep with him to twitch his focus. Everybody's like, Delilah was, oh, she was so sultry. She didn't do anything with her body. She just used this. Even Jesus in the garden experiences a distraction where his focus is taken away from what he's supposed to do. But then later on, he says, nevertheless. Come on, somebody said, nevertheless. He says, your will be done. Because my will doesn't really matter. Because what happens with men is that we try to attach our will with the focus of God, and our will can't support the dream that God has for us. You can't do it on your, by yourself. You can't will it enough, right? Like, you can't, I don't have enough eggs in my basket to make an omelet that God can devour and be full. So why not I just use his recipe? So here we go. Y'all ready? Let's write this down. Write down the word focus. I'm going to teach you today. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm going to try to get out of here as uh, ASAP. Somebody say ASAP. Focus is the center of interest or activity. Focus is the state is the state or quality of having or producing clear vision definition. So what that means is that focus can only be gained if something is not in focus. So that means that there is no man on this earth that was born knowing exactly what he was supposed to keep his eyes on. So all of the men that we envy, because I envy them too, I try to figure out how is this man, like how does this man for 30 years build an empire and not even deviate from what God told him to do? It's because he never literally took his eye off of the ball. Okay, how many of you guys ever played t-ball? T-ball as a kid or baseball or softball? One of the cool things about playing baseball is that they always tell you to keep your eye on the ball. But if your child gets to the point where they literally are focusing all their energy on the ball, it gets to this point where all you see is the ball. And then it becomes this thing where my dad used to say when I was, because I, I, I loved playing baseball, but I didn't like to run the bases. So I was like, if there's, can I get like a gold medal in home run derbies? Because like I'm fat and I don't feel like running. But I can hit that ball though. I get the ball. And my dad would say, focus on the ball, focus on the ball, focus on the ball, focus on the ball. And then he would say something else, man, that I want you to write down, and I'm going to get into the word. He would say, focus on the ball until you see it coming at you in slow motion. Wait a minute. A 70-mile-per-hour ball, and this is Nebraska, so these 7-year-olds and 7th graders, they are throwing heat in the 7th grade. So they don't believe, like, the hype, that MOB is fat, like, you're 7 and the ball coming at you scared. But he said, if you focus hard enough on the ball and you see it in his hand before he releases it, you're able to time how fast it comes to you. So, men, if we focus on life hard enough, we can literally adjust the pace at which things come at us. Rather than rolling with the punches, you're literally able to be Muhammad Ali, and I'm able to move where I know your hand is going to be, rather than trying to guess. Because as men, when we try to guess, we get beat up. The punches of life are random, and they're all over the place. And you try to dodge them in your own strength with your own will, and you end up getting knocked out. Anybody play Mike Tyson's punch out? Absolutely terrible. I get all the way to the end and then uppercut. 
and then you go back to the beginning. But in life, there is no restart. You can't get to the last stage, what God has called you to do, fumble it, and then start from the beginning. Continue? No, no, no. Like, you got to keep fighting that last monster over and over and over and over and over and over. And, man, the worst thing about it is that if you don't kill it, your son doesn't start on level one. He starts on the level that you ended on. So now a baby has to defend himself against a level 10 enemy. So this this thing of, like, I got to kill as much as I can so that when I have this opportunity, I can take my children, take my son, take other men that I know through all of these things that I've killed so I can show them when you fight this guy, this is how you do it. When you fight this guy, this is how you do it. And then the way that we grew up as kids, afterwards, when I was playing with my big cousins, say your big cousins. Big cousins were so much fun until they pull out the super soakers and they hit you. It wasn't fun. But then your big cousins would get to this point. They would say, like, you know what? You don't even have to play through all the levels. They had this little tiny sheet of paper that was folded up in their pocket, and they would fold it, and they'd be like, here's some cheat codes. Men, some of you have been playing through the game of life with no help. You've been, like, like you've literally been playing and you're like, man, I'm tired of this level. I can't beat this guy. But there are men that are all around you who, are, who, who, have, who have played the game, beat the game, bought another game. Like, like they're like, you're still worried about that? You should have taken care of that when you were 12. So this series of Men on Business, MOB, this series is a cheat code reference for when you start to feel some type of way. You have four different opportunities to look at something for an hour and glean from it. Men are only as good as what they consume. That's where your strength comes from. Come on, somebody say, that's where your strength comes from. So let me give you some background. We're going to be diving into the book of Numbers today, um, and I got a couple of points, and we're, we're going to get out of here because I'm really excited about, about this message. Um, so in Numbers, what we, uh, we have been walking through, ironically, the, the children of Israel's trek from Egypt to freedom. And along that trek, they end up falling into captivity multiple times. Then God has to release them multiple times, right? And then God saves them. And then once God saves them, he's like, they're like, this isn't good enough. So then God sends them another ruler. And at this point in Numbers, um, Moses is with the children of Israel. But remember how God said, you're going to walk around the desert for 40 years? Remember how he said that? In that period of time, all of the elderly people that were 40 and over have died. So now it's Moses with these new leaders, and everybody that's in the camp has replenished over. So now it's literally an entire group of millennials. I know all of you old heads in the room are like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. Moses was probably terrified too. But then what happens is, is that Moses gets a direction from God, and God tells Moses, he says, okay, I've taken you from Egypt, taken you through the desert, and now, remember, we talk about this promised land, right, milk and honey. He says, okay, remember what I told you about that land called milk and honey? It's right over there. Moses doesn't have focus on the, on the land because earlier God told him, he said, you're going to be able to see it, but you won't be able to taste of it. He says, you're going to be able to see it, but you're not going to be able to lay your eyes on it. Like, wait a minute. So there's a difference between seeing something and laying your eyes on it, right? A lot of people are experiencing that right now. There are babies being born that grandparents are able to see, but they're not able to lay their eyes on the child. It's this physical encounter where you're literally able to, like, indulge in what God showed you. So a lot of men think that because they can see their vision that it's good enough, but you've never experienced it. Like it's one thing to drive past the house and like, oh, that's a beautiful house. But it's another thing to know that you can buy the house, but you're saving. And then it's another thing to know that the house that you used to not be able to afford, that you can live in it now and own two other properties. Like that is what living in your vision is. Living in your vision isn't seeing a lollipop, buying a lollipop, eating a lollipop, and it's done. No, living in your vision is when you're living in it, it breathes at the same time. 
This is what we call being self-sustaining. So Moses is able to see the land that he's supposed to be promised. Remember, he was promised, you know, I'm going to take you to this land. And then through some, some things, he, he misses out on that opportunity. But then God tells him, he says, listen, you need to pick some guys to go into this area and scout. Can you say scout? Scout basically means you're supposed to look at the land. Don't touch anything. Don't steal anything. Don't grab anything. Don't talk to anybody. Just look. Men, sometimes we walk into situations too loud. This is me. I'm about to buy this. But it's funny because usually the person that doesn't say anything is the person with the bread. Usually the person in the business meeting that doesn't say anything has all the power. So Pastor Martin used to ask me this question growing up, and he would ask me, he said, you can only choose one. Which would you rather be, popular or powerful? Which one? Popular is loud and flashy and looks really good on camera, but powerful is silent in the back room but owns the person that's popular. Which one do you want to be? Which one? Make your decision. Which one? Which one? Which one? So now we have men that watch these other father figures and men figures on Instagram, Facebook, and we want to be popular, but we forget that your role is to be powerful in your family, not on a screen. So we have to choose this decision. Do you want to be powerful or do you want to be popular? Which one do you want to be? Powerful, I'd hope. I'd hope because popularity runs out. Power never does, especially when you're hooked up to the all-knowing source that's called Jesus. But let's move on. So the children of Israel are at the end of their trek through the desert. All the older people have died and passed away, and the oldest person in the group now is Moses. The oldest person in the group now is Moses. So Moses is commanded by God to send one man from each of the 12 tribes. Where we get these 12 tribes is remember this guy named Joseph? Remember Joseph? Joseph, uh, the Technicolor Dreamcoat, like he's the one that ends up going into slavery, ends up in Potiphar's house, and ends up being like next to Pharaoh. Well, Joseph had 11 other brothers. I see the moms in the room like, there ain't no way. There is no way. Miss Dana got three. Do you want, do you want nine more? Eight more? She's like, nah, I'm, I'm good. Right? So uh, Joseph comes from a big family. And what happens is, is that after Joseph frees everybody, him and his brothers, they split up. And for generations and generations and generations and generations and generations, they end up becoming tribes. So these men follow the template of their father. They have kids. Their kids get married, have kids stay together. They have kids, get married, stay together. They have kids, ma married, stay together. And they literally create like entire nations. So Moses ends up picking 12 guys from these nations. He picks one from Reuben, one from uh, Simeon, one from Judah, one from Issachar, one from Ephraim, one from Benjamin, Zebulon, Manasseh, Dan, Asher, uh, uh, Naphtali, Gad. So he ends up picking these men based on the tribe that they came from. But the interesting thing about it is that depending on which tribe they came from, it, it told you what their focus was. So the tribe of Naphtali's focus was on whatever it is in front of me, I just want to kill it. Joseph's brother Naphtali was like an amazing hunter and he was great in battle. So any men that came out of this tribe, they're like, let's kill it. Like, I don't care what it is, let's cut its head off. Reuben was manipulative. So this tribe, like they're really good with their words. So what happens is, is that there's like this band of men that have all of these different focuses going into a land where they're supposed to be looking for one thing. So now a group of 12 men with totally different focuses are all trying to find the same thing. How many of you have ever lost your keys? How many of you have ever asked somebody else to find your keys? Your focus is to get your keys so you can go somewhere else, but the other person's focus is just to find the keys. What ends up happening is that you get upset with somebody else for not finding your keys. 
And they end up looking at you, right, Vanessa or, or mom? Like, why is my focus to find your keys? So that means as men, if you're going to look for something, if, you're, if God sends you into this mode where you're supposed to go and search out and scout, and you're supposed to go look at this building, or you're supposed to go look at this investment, if you're taking other men with you, you better make sure that they all have the same focus. Because if they don't have the same focus, you'll realize that your great idea becomes something that they create as a product. What you'll realize is that when you take that guy to go see the house, yeah, this is the house I think I want to put my wife in. And then two months later, you figure out that house is off the market. If you don't have the same focus, you can't expect all of you to be aiming at the same thing. This is what we call synergy. I'm teaching you. I know y'all want to shout. It's your first day back. But I got I to gotta, I gotta finish this thing. So let's go to Numbers 13, 26 through 33. So in that span of time, Moses sent the men into the land. They go into the land, and they're there for 40 days. In that 40 days, the 12 of them, they, they come back with a report in different categories. And now we're about to pick up where they come back to Moses and basically give him a report. You ready? Here we go. Verse 26. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community of Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. Underline all of this until the 29th verse. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is. He gives them some fruit. But, say but. Like, it is the land that you told us to. We saw that. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified with very large walls. We even saw descendants of the Anak there. They're like these giant people. Like, they come from, like, the descendants of Goliath. Like, they're, like, massively huge people. Like, Shaq all over the place. Like, a hundred times over. That's kind of scary. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, all the ites live in the hill country. So these are all people that aren't even comp accomplices. Like they're all fighting each other. It's one thing when you got six people against you, that's a fight, right? I mean, that's, you getting jumped. I don't know if anybody ever got jumped. But if all six of the people that are trying to fight you hate one another, like that means they don't care about you. So you're about to send us into a land that doesn't, have, that doesn't just have enemies, but all the enemies are enemies of each other? Hold up. I thought it was supposed to be the land of milk and honey. Because that basically means that the enemies that are in the land doesn't take away from how sweet the honey is. Just, just come, you get, you there already? Like, 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 come with me. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So what they're saying is like the land is absolutely amazing. Everything that we need is there. But at all the four corners of this thing that we call Canaan, we have enemies. And then we have enemies in the middle. So what the heck do you see that we don't see? 30th verse, then Caleb, listen, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for underline this. We can certainly do what? Do it. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him, these are the men that were with, like they were all together. The men that were with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Verse 32, underline this, and they spread among the Israelites a what? bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land, was ex the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we see there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. They're even bigger than Shaq, so that's like Yao Ming in Shaq's. Like a whole bunch. If y'all remember Yao Ming, y'all remember Yao Ming? Oh, tough, man. We're getting old, Dave. Man, okay. Anyway, 
So uh, we, we saw them, we saw Yao Ming, we saw Shaq, a whole bunch of them, the kids were big too. Like, we seemed like grasshoppers in whose eyes? Our own. Men, sometimes you're the weakest person to you in the mirror. Sometimes we take ourselves out before we even get to the boardroom table or before you start to, like, like there's an apartment complex right now that's looking for a construction manager, and you're like, I can't do it. They don't even know you. But if you walk into the room and you're small in your own eyes, it smells when you walk in. Like, this guy's not even confident in himself, so why would I? It looks like this. The girl that, that's in this church, and I know you're saying, like, she ain't here, so I'm cool. I can be cool, right? Like, but, like, the girl that you see at the basketball court or that you see out in school, and, like, you think she's fine. And you're like, well, could we, I, I'd like to take you out for ice cream or whatever, right? But the thing is, is that if you see yourself as small, she can only see you the way you see yourself. So they come back to the camp, and they do this thing called assume. Can you say assume? Sometimes, men, it's not the devil that kills our dream. It's us assuming that we can't achieve what God showed us. Write this down. How is it that two people can see the same thing at the same time, in the same environment, at the same rate of speed, and see something totally different? How? How? How can, one per, how can two people get cancer, one person be like, this is it, and the other person be like, I can beat this. It's both the same cancer. It's both just as aggressive. How can a woman be in a relationship with a man and be married and him leave and one woman be like, oh, it's over, and, she, and the other woman be like, oh, it's, it's not over yet. And she's not even going to go get a new man. She's like, no, he's he just silly. We're going we gonna, we gonna to figure this out. How do you look at the same situation and get something totally different? Can we talk about that today? Because that's the difference of why there is like, there's like this, this spirit of deception and this spirit of anger and this spirit of being jealous in the church. It's because you and another man that had a conversation, one of you ran and got it and the other one is just sitting. There's nothing different between the two of you. It's just the fact that his focus was on what God showed him and not on how many steps he had to take. Come on, man, say, I got to fix my focus. I got I to gotta fix my focus. Because if you fix your focus, your strength your sight, like your vision, everything will be taken care of. Because what this thing called focus does is it does this. Write this down. Focus always aligns. Focus always aligns. So if you are in your life and you don't know what to do, where to go, you're always confused. You have no reason to wake up. You, anytime that you wake up before 9 o'clock, you're too tired. It's because you have no focus. You can have vision. You can have drive. You can have a plan. You can have a person that's meeting you at the gym every single day. But if you're not focused on getting right, you'll never wake up day by day by day because the process will wear you out. So if you focus on the process, you'll never make it. You focus on what God showed you. Here we go. Point number one. Focus is feasible when it's simple. Pastor Martin taught this message way back in like 2007. It was after, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Harvest 99. He spoke, it, um, it was like 10 seconds before, uh, 10, 10 to 15 minutes before he brought up uh, Pastor John Bevere. Um, this was our first conference. It's now Shake the Nations, but it was Harvest 99 then. And he taught this message about being cockeyed. And he was like, we have a lot of men that are cockeyed. And if you have more eyes, you would try to have your vision on so many different things. But he says that it's interesting that God gives you two eyes, and the only way that you're able to focus one eye is if the other eye is looking at the same thing. But some of us, some men, we're cockeyed because we're trying to achieve two different dreams that don't even meet each other, so we're looking like this. 
And I don't know about you, and if anybody in here is lazy-eyed, I love you, I appreciate you. Let's just talk about this spiritually, not figuratively, right? Okay. So it's once you end up meeting your vision, your vision's looking at you in the face, and it's just like, who are you looking at? Like, you're not looking at me. You're more worried about these other two things. But focus is made easy and feasible when it's simple. Moses is asked by God to do one thing. In Numbers 13, 1, God looks at Moses and he says what? Hey, I want you to send some men to go look at the land, period. But listen to the instructions that Moses gives the men. He said, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. That's it. Which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Moses takes that information and he makes it extremely difficult. So instead of them focusing on looking at the land, Moses says, okay, look. So go up through, he even tells them how to get there. He says, go up through Negev and on into the hill country. He sounds country. Like when you get to that tree with the lump out of it where your granny hit the tree two years ago, take a right. And then when you hit that tree that you know your, your brother fell and broke his leg, bust a left. Like he's like, he's super country. I'm telling you, they're all from Mississippi. I'm, you're right, Pastor. Then he says, see what the land is like. He should have put a period here because that's what all God said. Sometimes when people give you information to get to your dream, they're really trying to distract you with the process. Do this and then do this and then do this and then do this. And you're so worried about all of the steps that you never get there because you're trying to get everything right. Everybody that gives you help is not trying to help you. He says, see what the land is like. He should have put a period there, right? And he says, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live on? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they... Uh, are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? And do they even have any grapes or fruit? Because if they have grapes and fruit, that really helps us out. So now what he has done is he has taken the vision of God that came to him that was always on purpose and all that you need, and he has splintered it into his own agenda. So when we hear the story of the men coming back, we're like, man, your faith was broken. But maybe their faith was broken because somebody splintered their focus. Sir, God told you to do one thing, and you think that you can achieve it by giving different pieces of the vision that God gave you to all of your family members. That's not how it works. God tells you, build the family. Okay, so that, that means my son has to cut the grass, my daughter needs to do this, my, my wife. And God's like, I told you to just do one thing. So sometimes, men, our focus becomes scattered because we make what God made very simple, we make it very confusing. Because as men, we think that the more confusing it is, once I finish it, that means I'm a better person. This is the reason why we don't ask for directions. This is the reason why we don't read manuals. This is also the reason why when we're about to build something, we take that little piece of paper that they call, like, the directions, and we say, hey, I don't need it, I'm going to put it together. Then you end up with screws all over the place, and you're like, where would it come from? <laughs> I'm not supposed to have no screws left. And then what we do as men is we take the drill, and when our wife or our sister or our mom isn't in the room, we go like this. We put it in, and it's like, oh, they're all gone. No, no, no. Because while what you've done is you've tried to make something happen, but you are not the manufacturer. You are not the manufacturer of your focus. God gives you something to focus on, and all you have to do is focus. You don't have to worry about what you're wearing. You don't have to worry about if it's going to be funded. All God said is just focus on what I told you to do. 
Well, God, I need some more help. Well, now you only have 50% of the focus because now you're splitting your focus between two other people. Some businesses, men, that you want to start don't need a business partner. They need a CEO, which is you. But it means that there's some work that you got to do. Amen? Second point. Focus fuels your fight. Write it down. Focus fuels your what? Every person that we see in the world had a specific focus. People would have been really excited about David killing the lion and the bear. But what messed up is that Samuel told him he was supposed to be king. So once he told him what his potential was, everything in between it, he wasn't impressed with. There are some things, men, that we get impressed with that you should already just be doing. I watch my kids. What? I take care of my house. Yeah. I'm faithful to my wife. I hope. <laughs> that's like the, that's like the, bit. hold on. That's not even the, bit. that's like the bear. That's like the foundation. <laughs> that's, the, that's the foundation. But when you focus on what God told you, then everything that you're doing is fighting to get to that point. This is why here at AWC, whenever you ask pastor or any other men here that have, like they smell like something that they've killed, they're not impressed with what you've done because they know what you are supposed to do. I took care of my kids. You still aren't in that 10,000 square foot house that we talked about two years ago. I'm not impressed. Let's keep fighting. I saved $1,000. Good for you, but we're still at 500000 Come back to me once you finished it. And if you're a man who gets frustrated, that means that you are more focused on impressing them than achieving the goal. Where is your focus? Is your focus to impress or is your focus to see something that's on a TV screen or in a magazine or as my dad would say in the Sears catalog? It's something different about a man knowing that I see something and then I have it in my hands. Because once I have it in my hands, I'm not happy with it, but I can remember everything I had to do to get it. Focus on what God showed you. Then once you get it, focus on how you got there. Because if you focus on how you got there, what God wants to get you into, remember, when they were walking through the desert, it's supposed to be a four and a half day journey. And it took them 40 years. So what God is trying to make us understand is that if you know what your focus is, you don't have to try to pick your battles. They're already picked for you. Because a lot of us men, by the time that we make our focus on what God wants us to have, we've already used our energy fighting unnecessary fights. Point number three. It gets clearer the closer you get. It's so frustrating when God shows you something and he's so simple. That's because God has given us these two things called hands and he's giving us these two things called free and will. When you put them both together, you got free will. That's a good one, isn't it? What free will basically means is that all God knows is that he says, all I have to do is give you desire and you'll create what you need to get to what I told you. Think about it. God didn't have a plan. Everybody's like, yes, he didn't know. God all-knowing, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, all, like, all over the place all the time. God was out here in the dark just by himself, just strolling along, along right, just out here. And he said, you know what? I think it would be nice to have an earth. Well, why? I don't know. I don't really care about the why or the how, but my focus is to create something. And what did he do? He just created it. Sometimes what God shows you isn't clear, but it becomes clearer the more steps you take towards it. That's why it's so important because I think that every single man is born nearsighted. 
We're born nearsighted. We're born blurry in the world. And then what we do is we see something out in the distance and we're like, oh, that looks kind of nice. It kind of looks like a red Corvette or something like that. And then we're like, well, I can't see it, so God doesn't want me to have it. <laughs> it's kind of blurry, but I don't see it. But, you know, it's, it's too blurry. And if God really wanted me to see it, he'd give me everything that I need right here. So, you know what, that can't be for me. God wants me to have financial wealth and breakthrough, and I see it. I see I'm able to do anything and everything that I want to do as long as I want to for as many people as I want to, but I can't clearly see it, so I I guess that's not for me. But one thing that we understand about nearsighted people is that the way that they are able to achieve reading, the way that they're able to achieve what they see is doing what? Getting closer to it. Sometimes God doesn't give you all of the pieces, men, because he wants to see how many steps will you take close to it. Will you pursue it? Or will you just talk about it? Like, will you write it down? Like, people think, like, we we, we taught these messages, write it down, make it plain. And men thought that they achieved something by writing it down. No, no, no. Now you literally need to walk it out after you've written it down. It's one thing for me to tell Vanessa I'm going to do a better job of making sure that I clean up after myself in the house. If I've written it down, that's great. But it's still blurry in her eyes because she's like, I I still don't see you cleaning up anything. The way that I clear up her vision is by taking steps towards what I promised her. One thing that, one of the reasons why you get frustrated, men, why your wife doesn't look at you and see you as a strong man, why your girlfriend doesn't look at you and see you as sufficient, is because they're still blurry and they need you to walk towards them. You can't focus on me if I'm away from you, Vanessa. Like, I can't be the husband that you need me to be over here. That's like me saying, hey, I'm going to be a great husband. And from her point of view, it looks like it, but I really can't see because I can only see the closer you get to me. So God shows us a vision of being married. God shows us a vision, men, of wanting to get something. And then we're like, God, I can't see it. Like, why haven't you revealed it to me? And God's like, you're nearsighted, stupid. Walk. This is why our wives, our sisters, and our mothers are so upset with us. It's because we're simple. But we as men, instead of asking, instead of looking for our keys, what do we do? Has anybody seen my keys? Well, if you'd open your eyes, that's the first part. The second part is taking a step in the direction of where it was last. So I can't expect my wife. Oh, that feels so good. Okay, I can't expect my wife to make the house a home. I literally need to meet her in what the focus is. And the only way I fix my focus if I'm nearsighted is to take steps every single day, getting as close. You feel something, don't you, girl? I know you do. Getting as close as I can to her. Because then what happens is, is at the end of it, we're looking face to face. And everything that she sees is what I see. One thing is this. This right here, right here, I, I can't really read the words. But if I put this thing right here. I can read everything that's on the screen, and I don't see any other distractions. From here, I can see everything going on. And I can focus as much as I can on this, but in my peripheral, I see everything else. But if I take steps closer to it, once I get here, it's all I see. Sometimes, men, you're distracted because your peripheral is making distractions for you. So thick women are a distraction if your wife isn't right in your face. A job that helps you make money gets a distraction of getting your degree if your tuition and your goal of getting that degree isn't in your face. Shoes and cars and houses are super dope around you if you don't see, like, I want to be married in your face. 
So the one thing about it is this is the reason why, as men, we have the capacity to multitask. But we need to focus on one thing and finish it. Because what we understand is that if God gave me one thing to do, everything that I need to fulfill my life is in the one thing. Come on, men. Everything in my life is in what God told me to focus on. The trick took them 40 days. The land of milk and honey turned into turmoil and fear. From afar, it was the land of milk and honey. We got close and we saw some enemies and we were like, yeah, this, 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 this ain't it. But sometimes we don't want to get close to things because if we pay close enough attention, we'll see why we shouldn't be so focused on it. Because sometimes, men, you can be super focused on something and it's not what the will of God is for your life. This is what we call addiction. And in men, I don't think it's just like this inherent thing that happens in our DNA. I think it's because we as men are supposed to focus on one thing, but if we focus on the wrong thing, it ends up taking over our lives. Look at the man next to you and say, fix your focus. Number four, focus requires a source. Men, I really hope that you're not just like taking notes to like fulfill a requirement of attending here at AWC. I really hope that you're literally like creating a blueprint that you're going to use walking through. Because at the same time that I'm teaching this to you, I have to practice it. Because if I'm the man of God, I'm sorry, if Pastor Martin's the man of God and he teaches me, and then I'm teaching you, but I don't practice what he practiced and he didn't practice what he practiced, now we're just teaching you. But we're preaching this thing because we're walking what we're talking, amen? Let's be a generation of men that walks, like, I want to walk before I talk. Before I tell you what I want to do, I want to go kill it and be like, hey, look, look what I did. Point number four, focus requires a what? A source. The other men's focus was based on the threat that they saw. Whereas these two guys, Joshua, and the second one's name is Caleb, and I know it's funny, me and Caleb, good friends growing up, and we were like, oh, we're going to be the same, we're going to find big grapes, whatever. But those two guys, the only thing that they came back and talked about was we can take the land. The other guys, all they saw were threat. All they saw were threat. They saw the threat, and they talked to the people. Joshua and Caleb said that we can do it, and they only talked to the leader. When you are focused, you don't have to talk to other people to get their chime in. As a man, when you know what you're supposed to do, you bring people in to counsel you, not to pick apart what you're thinking. So how can two people walk into the same area and see something different? Two men, I mean, uh, ten men walked in and saw the giants. They saw the walls. They saw everything else that was going to tear them apart. And two other men said, but did you see how big the grapes were? But did you see, like, King Kong was out there, Yao Ming and Shaq. Like, yeah, that's, that's great, and we'll kill them later. But, like, did you, see, did you see how big them pomegranates was? The Word of God says that in order for the men to carry two grapes, it took two of them to carry on a vine. So the other men dropped the grapes, and they're like, men, some big grapes. Yeah, don't worry about the grapes. But they're going to kill us if we get over there. But the other two men understood something. The source of my focus isn't what I see. It's what I see. So when you look at your family and if and when it's broken, and everybody's family's broken, don't believe the lie when everybody's like, my family's great. No, they are fighting in that house at some point in time. Because if your family is worth anything, then it's worth fighting for. See how I did that? See, you see it? The fighting doesn't destroy your family. It's if you allow the fighting to. Family series. We'll come back to that. Uh, Ms. Dodge, we'll come back to that later. The source of what you see shouldn't start with what you see. It should start with what God revealed to you and you focus on it 
inward. That's why when you see people that are on the news that like have like no legs or they have no sight or they can't hear, you're like, how in the world are they successful? Because they're focused not on what they can see and feel with their senses. They're focused on the first sense, which is the spirit that's on the inside of them. Because that means that regardless of what I see out here, it doesn't matter because I see it on the inside. So that means that this room being full with people, we didn't see this for months, but we saw it for months. I didn't see getting married on May 29th, looking at her with tears in my eyes. No, I saw that at 7. I'm married. I, I see it. Because then it becomes this thing where men, we don't want to go to therapy and we don't want to talk to counselors and we don't want to meditate because we think that it's goofy. But basically all meditation is, is closing out everything else that's around you that's external, literally searching within yourself and getting your focus back on why you started. If you ever lose, if you ever lose sight of anything that you see, if you ever lose, like, I don't think I have it in me to finish. I don't think I have, like, if you lose focus, if you get your focus back, I promise you, you'll figure out why you started. Man, I don't know why, why I even started. Well, close your eyes and look. Well, this movie's not done. Man, my paper's not done. This project isn't done. Forget the paper because your focus isn't the paper. Your focus is how you're going to feel once it's done. So get that feeling back. That's the point. The other men's focus was based on the threat, while Caleb's, uh, Caleb's focus was based on the opportunity. So where should your focus come from, men? Write these down. These are the only places your focus should come from. It shouldn't come from where you see. Your focus should come from your determination. Your focus should come from what scares you. I know a lot of people told you what scares you, run away from it. But if it scares you, if it scares you enough, there's at least another 100 men that are just as scared. So that means that you have this opportunity to create something that takes away fear out of men's hearts. Anything and everything that is at the zoo today was a fear from somebody else at some point in time. Think about it. Somebody literally was walking in the Amazon and saw a gorilla and were like, nope, and kept walking. But somebody said, I wonder if I could put it in a box. I, like, I, I, want, I, I wonder. Y'all know what a liger is? It's a lion and a tiger half-breed. How many of y'all watched Tiger King this summer? We won't talk about Carol Baskin. We won't talk about it. But somebody looked at two different animals that could literally rip your head off and run you down in a mile and said, I want to make babies with that thing. I want to make this, this hybrid. Like, there are some people that look at things that are extremely scary, and they look at it, and they focus on it, and they make something around it. So that, may, that means, men, that sometimes when you wake up from a nightmare, it's not a nightmare, but it's a vision of what God wants to help you finish. So men that have commitment issues, I don't want to get married. Maybe that's something that you fear that God wants to help you defeat. I could never be wealthy. Maybe that's something that God's trying to show you, like, oh, you're afraid of money. That means that it's more afraid of you than you are of it. The third thing that, you're, that your focus should be so, uh, sourced in is what bothers you. It's the thing that you see on the news. It's the thing that you see in the street. It's the thing that you see, like, anywhere. And when you see it, like, it just makes you upset. Anybody got that? Like, it just makes you. Whenever I see young boys that can't tie their shoes after the age of four, like, I get upset. And any of you guys that have boys, like, at four years old, like, yeah, he should be able to tie his shoes. He should at least be able to do the little Velcro joint. But if you will keep running over your shoes and tripping over your laces, you'll trip over bigger things when you're 30. So tie your shoes. Oh, he's so cute. Look at him fumbling. It won't be cute at 30. 
when he's not fumbling with his shoe screens, but he's, he's, he's fumbling with, with drugs and addiction, or he's fumbling with his own mindset of who he is, that won't be cute. So instead of making your focus, oh, this is so cute, make your focus, this is a potential problem, we need to take care of it. The fourth thing that our, is this good? Okay, y'all quiet, I just wanted to make sure. I can't tell y'all faces if y'all smiling, if y'all are just like, bro. <laughs> Roast in the oven. <laughs> The fourth thing that your focus should be sourced in, write this down. This is so important. It's a problem that you see that you can solve. One way that we as men torment ourselves is that we see problems that can be solved, but we don't have the capacity to fix them. You kill yourself. We kill ourselves trying to fix problems that were not created for us. Every person, every man in this room knows a man that takes care of everything else except for himself. He's the guy that will buy gas for somebody, but he ain't got gas for himself. Some of the things that cause you to fall to your knees and cry are not just there because it's a thorn in your side. The funny thing about Paul is that he said, I have this thorn in my side. But what he ended up doing was he fixed his focus on the thorn. But he kept the thorn so that when other people had a thorn, that just like his, he could say, I know how to take care of that. Sometimes the problems that are in our lives, men... You beat it and kill it, and the victory still isn't won because now you have to reproduce freedom in somebody else. If you are a man that has beaten the addiction of pornography and you have not helped somebody else, you have not won yet. If you are a man that used to have a gambling problem or a lying problem and you beat it, but you haven't talked to another young man about it, you still haven't won. Paul even said that if this thorn is in my side, I take it out and I've dealt with it, but you have a thorn in your side, I might as well have taken your thorn and put it in myself. He says, I'm still in pain if you're in pain, especially if the pain that you're experiencing, I've already freed myself of. So AWC becomes this thing. I need to focus on killing this thing on the inside of me so that way when they come, not if, say when. When they come, you can talk to a man that smells like cognac and be like, hey, sir, you want to have breakfast tomorrow? Well, I have work at 7 o'clock. That don't make no difference. I hop open at 4 a.m. Hey, young man, is your, is your sexual life, is it all right? Is it intact? Because sometimes the men that are asking you these questions aren't to be invasive. They're trying to help you. Because they see you hemorrhaging blood in the same places that they were wounded. So then what happens is you get upset. Man, this man all my business. No, they're worried because you're bleeding all over the place. Like, you're bleeding everywhere. Like, you're hurt. You're in pain. Like, you come to church and say hallelujah, but 4 o'clock in the morning when you start feeling some type of way, your laptop is your best friend, not falling on your knees and reading your word. But I've been there. Let me help you. Sometimes your focus and your source is the pain in other people that God has delivered you from. So, men, we need to make a decision today that any man that you see that allows you the opportunity, some people are just defiant, you try to help them, they're going to go their way. But some young men are just waiting for somebody to ask them. Like, I'm bleeding. Like, you don't see me? How you doing, young man? God bless you. And you see him. You're like, he's, he's blood. There's blood all over him. And it's the same blood that you used to have on your body. What if we as men, instead of just checking on their finances and their wealth and their health, we started to literally ask them, okay, hey, how is your soul? Well, I'm saved. That's great. You're going to heaven. But heaven is great, but you can live in hell on earth and have paradise in heaven. So like, how is your soul? 
Sir, how is your mental? Because nine times out of ten, any man that you see isn't fighting the battle here because we don't fight with flesh and blood, right? What do we fight with? Principalities and strongholds would happen here. So whenever you see a man in the room, whenever you see your son and you ask him a question, how are you doing? I'm fine. I can probably guarantee my life that on the inside of his head, his focus isn't fine. His focus is on everything else that the enemy is trying to attack him with or that he's, I don't know why I'm stuck here. Like if we really ask the question, how is your soul? I think we would be able to switch their focus from what they're fighting with to who they should be fighting for, which is a relationship with God the Father. Every boy that we see that's messing up isn't worth throwing away. Okay, if there's no men standing on your feet right here, I need to go to another church. Like, Every boy that we meet isn't so defiant that we should just take him to jail or just let him go and do what he wants with his life. Some of these men are going to have to go through what the men did with you. They held you down by your neck with their foot on your head. And you're like, I don't know what's going on, but you're not, I'm not going to do your funeral. How dare you? How dare we? I'm healing and you're bleeding with the same knife that stabbed me. How I know I can help you. I'm not free until I help. Come on, somebody say it. I'm not free, I'm free. until I help somebody else. Because basically what you do is you pay it forward. And as men, we are supposed to multiply. The way in which I multiply is if I had an addiction and I beat it, if I teach one, he teaches another. And he teaches another and he teaches another. And then when he has kids, he doesn't have to worry that his kids are going to fight the same demons that he did. And if they do fight the same demons, they're going to be more fortified than he was. Like, like you help your boys, your sons, your grandsons, your great-great-grandsons, like, by dealing with the issue and leaving them a manual on how to beat the game. It's not a hard reset once you have your son. All right, figure it out. Wait, what? I've never played this game before. How dumb do we look? I know how, where all of the secret goblets are, where all the secret gems are, the secret levels. Why wouldn't I just take you through that and play with you? But we abandon our sons because we're saying, you're supposed to, I had to figure it out on my own. You should do the same. It's not right. Point number five. Focus begins at the end of your sight. Focus begins at the end of your sight. Focus begins at the end of your sight. Do you know how your eyes work? Focus, like your sight ends at what you see. What you see with your eyes is the end of the process. Listen to this. Light filters through your cornea. Your cornea phases that through a lens. Your lens projects that image onto your retina. Your retina projects that signal to the optic nerve. The optic nerve then sends waves to your brain your brain filtrates it, interprets it, and then sends it to your eyes to tell your eyes this is what you're looking at. So your eyes are not the end. They are the means to the end. So that means that if you have two eyes and you're looking at something, if you don't have a brain, you're, you really can't see anything. So the point that I'm trying to make is this. Focus has a really clear relationship with your faith. Because focus and sight doesn't start with these two eyeballs. Because if that's, if, if that's what, if, if that was the truth, then you wouldn't be able to have dreams. Your eyes aren't open when you dream, sir. You're not using your eyes when you sleep, sir. What you're using is your God mind. You're using the eyes of God to see things that don't exist in a sleep state. So then what happens is that here at this church, we try to teach you how to dream with your eyes wide open. 
where you're able to dream, receive revelation from God, focus on what he told you to do, kill that, switch your thinking, kill something else, and then at the end of it, you have no more enemies because your focus was so clear. And you didn't trust these. You trust what God gave you. Your eyes don't believe what they see. Your own eyes don't believe what they see. Your eyes trust the way that you think. This is why we have these diseases and these mental issues called schizophrenia. Because people, you don't, your eyeballs don't see the hallucinations. Your brain is throwing stuff in there to make you think you see it. Woo! So sometimes what you think is a threat, sir, it's not a threat. You just need to change your thinking. Oh, my God. So instead of seeing them men in that, time, in, in, in that space as giants, you can almost see them as, well, if I pay them enough, I bet you they work for me. I bet, I, bet you, I, bet you, I bet you if I had enough bread, that sword, they traded in for a hammer. I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty sure. I'm, 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 pre, I'm, pre, I'm pretty sure. You've been passing by Linden, Linden Estates for 25 years because you think the houses are too big and it's a threat. But I wonder if you could look like, okay, so if I want that house, how many more hours do I need to put in on my own dream after I get home from work? Okay, so that means that if the kids go to bed at 7.30, I need to be up until 2 o'clock. That means I'm probably not going to get a lot of sleep in the next couple of days. But if I put these things forward, I see myself in that house in my portal. Like, so even though I see the house and 10,000 square feet is scary, I'm not worried about that because that's not a threat. It's an opportunity for make a space where I can bring my mama. Oh, wait a minute. Once I buy the house, I can bring my mama in the house and my daddy in the house and my kids in the house and I won't have to kick them out to go find a way to live in a dorm. They can stay in our house. And we won't even see each other for six days. Like once you begin to change your thinking, you won't have these schizophrenic moments and these hallucinations because all hallucinations are, are a play on how you think, not what you see. That's why sometimes when you're talking to men who have changed their thinking, when you bring up something that's a threat to them, they say, and? I don't see what you see. That's like me seeing a purple elephant here and be like, hey, y'all see this purple elephant? All y'all are like, no. That's because you have fixed your mind to not focus on what your brain is trying to tell you. You tell your brain, this is what we see. Remember what God told you? See that. So, men, it's very important that you talk to your brain, not to your eyes. I, I don't, what I see in Vanessa isn't correct. If I want to see what I want to see in her there, I got to see her here first. If I want her to cook more often, I don't say, hey, why don't you cook more often? What I have to see in my head is like I see her already at Thanksgiving and I don't have to touch anything. Because then what happens is, is my focus is on the inside and I won't beat her up. I'll beat the dream up in my head. You don't look like how it's supposed to look. When you see the people around you correctly, it's not with your eyeballs. It's with your focus. It's with your focus. Confidence is the faith in you. Confidence is faith in yourself. But hope is having faith in God. But you want to know the funny thing where God's focus is? God's focus wasn't in creating the earth. God's focus was relationship with you. If you would have told God that he would have to give up his only son, and there would be this book called the Bible where every person that he told them what to do, they failed. That's what the book of Bible, the book of the Bible is a, is a, is a malfunction manual. Have you ever realized that? It's full of malfunctions, how to not do it. And we still do it incorrectly and blame the word. And the word's like, I told you every possible way how not to do it, and you still did it. And we're so good, we try to find new ways on how not to do it. And then say it's not in the word, so therefore I can do it. Men, we're funny. 
Just use the hammer and the nail. No, I'm going to use my shoe and a screwdriver. It got the job done. Yeah, but you wasted your time and your energy. If you follow the blueprint of God, you, res- you preserve your time and your energy. There are some things that God wants you to use your energy for something else. Look at your neighbor. Say, God, your focus is in me. Sir, I want to I help you out today. I want to make sure that you understand that you are God's focus. God sent his son because he loved the world, but the only way that he loves the world is to have people that manage it. Like the, like the way that God loved the world was through relationship. We wanted to end this series in a way, and I was like, man, pastor, like I know people are coming back into the building. And it's going to be great, but we got to finish this series because as the way of the men go, that's the way our world goes. You're watching the television, and a lot of the stuff that you see, you can tell that there was a mute man. You, you, you can tell. A man didn't care enough to set somebody aside for 10 seconds, and now we're watching it on the news. A man didn't see it as an, he saw it as a, a, a complication or like, oh, my God, it's such an inconvenience. Because sometimes when, as men, when we, get, um, when we get freed from something, we say thank you and move on. We don't see it as a thank you. I received a token that I have to give to somebody else. But Jesus did this thing when he died on the cross. Um, it said, he said, uh, how much more, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, how much more does a man have to love his friends to lay down his life? So basically what happened is, is that when Jesus died, when he went into the ground, he became your foundation. So men, you don't have an excuse of building a foundation because it's already started. See how I did that? Jesus Christ, when they buried him in the ground, he literally, remember we talked about that in the first, se- in the, in the first sermon. Like, if you're going to be a man, Pastor Martin said, you have to lay down. And then I said it the next day, you got to lay down under the dirt and then your family builds on top of you. But man, I want to make sure that you understand something, that you don't have to start a foundation from scratch. There's one that's already built and it's built in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know that a lot of churches, people are like, oh my God, here comes the benediction. But I honestly believe that there is at least one person or two people in the room and at least four people that are online, men, boys, older men, that today God showed you your focus. Like you've been looking all over the place. You've been cockeyed, lazy-eyed, like looking at everything. And God said, no, sir, remember that dream I gave you at 12? I know you're 70, but you can get this thing done before 72. 